before I start, does anybody have any gum? I kind of, that's a joke. Y'all should laugh at that. <laughs> Doug and Sally are on vacation and grateful that they are able to be away. Last summer, we had a lot of things going on and it was hard for him to get away at that time. So grateful that they can be gone and be praying for them as they are taking some time away. Everybody needs a vacation and uh, they are taking some time. So it's a, a blessing for them. Um, we are starting a three-week series, and I think Doug may follow up with it a little bit, called The Crown and the Kingdom. And I am preaching today, and then Nick is preaching next week, and then Troy is preaching the following week. And then I think Doug is going to come and back clean up on all of that. But we were just looking at the things of God and what counts for eternity. And so I'm going to be talking today about Father God, and, and then others will be sharing other aspects of God and how do we fit into all of that. So a, a couple of things that I feel like I'm supposed to say uh, before I start the sermon, and I know that is very, makes you nervous because it's like, great, she's going to go off, you know. Anyway, um, I would say to all the young men and women in the room that the most important investment you can make is, I think I blew out the candle. Um, that doesn't mean Jesus is half gone, okay? That, I mean, he's still here. You know, um, anyway, I'll leave it alone. Um, young men and women, the most important thing I think you can do outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ is investing in other people, investing in relationships. And you can go to awesome schools and, and you can get great degrees and you can make a ton of money. And all that may be nice. But investing in other people and pouring into them is really one of the most important things you can do. And I know that, that, you know, baseball teams, I mean, my daughter loves the Texas Rangers, good or bad, when they're doing good or when they're not. She loves the Rangers. I know there are people here that love basketball. I think there was a game kind of recently where somebody won. Jared Hood probably knows. You know, and basketball's a big deal, right? And we look sometimes to those people. But I would say to you, the people that invest in kids' lives, those are the heroes. For school teachers and people that are like first responders and firemen and policemen, scout leaders, people that help with VBS, people that work with youth, people that work with children, you're getting, you're getting a payback that is not just some type of trophy, but you're investing in people's hearts and lives. And I would say to the leaders of the scouts, you're taking a week of vacation to go to a place that does not have air conditioning. Is everybody with me? Kind of like yesterday. You know, and there may be more than one scorpion. I have been to that camp. Uh, not that camp, but I've been to Bridgeport. And I just want to say thank you for investing in these young men's lives. And I'm... <laughs> I know there, there's another group that will be going to Philmont, I think, later. Um, and, and all of that. So just saying we, we thank you. And to the young men and women here, the most, I've, I've worked with a lot of people and been in situations where people were nearing the end of their lives. And never has anyone said, I wish I had one more meeting or I wish I could go make more money. They all talk about their family and the people that are important to them and the people they've invested in. So I just encourage you in that. 
I also felt like in praying about this sermon, praying about this time, and I promise we'll get to it, and I promise I can tell time, um, that I felt like the Lord was saying, hold the line. I don't know who that's for. I know that Father's Day and Mother's Day, those can be difficult days for people. They can be awesome days, and they can also be difficult days. And I don't think hold the line means retreat. But I think we hold on. We hold on. We hold the line. And that as a church, we are moving forward. A couple of things about this passage. Uh, in talking about Father God, God is our Father. For people that have struggles, that, that maybe struggle with a Father image, it can be difficult to make that connection. And yet God so loves us and he wants to heal our hearts and he wants to minister to us in ways that we may not be able to even comprehend. If you had a situation where you had have a, a good father image or grandfather or whatever, that is awesome. But for those that have not, it can be a difficult day. And yet we look to God. I think parents do the best they can. I really do. I, I know there are situations where there may be just abusive situations or mental illness or whatever, and that is horrific. But I think basically people try to do the very best they can. And we're going to talk about practical things in a minute. The kids this week, they learned about that God gives us comfort and he gives us peace and he gives us patience and he gives us love and joy. And for all of those things, I think we need to see God in that, how he loves us. And if I was thinking of the very first thing I would think of as far as God the Father, I, I think he loves us with unconditional love. It's not what you do. It's who you are. It's not that you've done all these things, but it's that he loves you. He loves you. And whether you do good stuff or bad stuff, there's not like this meter in heaven, you know, that ticks or whatever. You know, I mean, that's kind of how the people that worship Allah think. But he loves you. Unconditional love. His promises are conditional. If you do this, I will do this. But his love for you is unconditional. I think we can affirm and say God is good. He is good. He is faithful. Across the years, across the centuries, God is faithful. He is our provider. He's truly our provider. He redeems and restores. Even situations that may look incredibly broken, he redeems it and he restores it. It's kind of his job. It's what he does. I hear a lot of things from people at different times talking about how they feel like God just can't possibly love me or he doesn't know me. There's all these people in the world and he doesn't know me. And yet in, in Isaiah, it says he knows your name. In Isaiah 43, it says, because you are precious to me and honored and I love you. Throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God says over and over again his love for his people, his love for his children. Sometimes people will say concerning a relationship with, with Jesus, accepting what he did for us on the cross and the resurrection, they will say, well, it's just too late for me. Well, yeah, that works, right? Like God has just gone, oh, sorry, like he has a watch, sorry, too late. I think he desires all to come to know him. He desires to be in a relationship with us. He desires to take care of us. When people say things like that, they're putting a boundary on God right? I mean, God's not going, oh, well, sorry, you know, it, it's over. 
I mean, there, make, there comes a day that that will happen, but God draws his children to us. Some people will say, well, I've just done too much. Well, you know, let's talk about the thief on the cross. Let's talk about David, King David, who's the, one of the most esteemed kings in the history of, of Israel. And he was an adulterer, and it, he was a premeditated murderer. And one of the most esteemed kings, he repented. And God restored the relationship. People sometimes put on God things that happen that we don't understand. Maybe situations in nature we don't understand or when things happen. God takes care of us. He's not in the business of destroying us. Some people say I've messed up, you know, and I can't come back. Maybe they at one time had a relationship and they just feel like they can't come back. That is completely contrary to scripture and to everything we believe God to be. So regardless of how your personal situation may be concerning God, he still has unconditional love for you. Regardless of how your situation was in your home and people that influenced your life, and it may have been bad, and I get that. But God's love is still true. His love is still real. He is faithful. His love is unconditional. He's our provider. So I encourage you when things are difficult and your personal experience may have been, it's hard for you to connect with God. I encourage you to, to see him for what he is in scripture and what he says about you. In Jeremiah, he said, before you were formed in the womb, that he knew you before you were formed in the womb. That's hard to even get your head around, that he knows you and he loves you. Isaiah 61 is a passage that Jesus quoted about his ministry here on earth, and I'm not going to quote all of it, but he said, you know, that he came to preach the good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captive free. Oh my goodness, the love of God for us, the incredible love of God. So Nick read the scriptures from the prodigal son, the passage from Luke 15. It's a very famous passage, and it's one that we teach in you know, Sunday school, and you hear about it a lot and all that kind of thing. I would like to mention a couple of things for you to consider with that, to kind of think about. Then we're going to read a little bit more scripture, and then we're going to be done. And, you know, we're at, it's all good. We can go celebrate Father's Day. Many Bible scholars feel that it is really one parable. We see it in three parts of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the prodigal son. And yet Jesus, when he was speaking, he said, let me tell you a parable. It wasn't plural. It was singular. So it's really kind of one story of the lost sheep and, and how the shepherd, and that would be like Jesus. Jesus went and found the lost sheep, and then the coin, uh, finding the lost coin. It's not like the coin just popped up out of the ground, you know, and landed on the table. Sometimes when things are lost at my house, I would prefer that, but that's not always the case, right? So in this really, a lot of Bible scholars see this as it was the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons, plural, on the lost sons because I would suggest to you the elder son was really just as lost as the younger son and we'll talk about that when when the younger son comes to the father and, and keep in mind Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and those are the people that didn't like to eat with sinners they felt like you shouldn't eat with sinners and so he's talking you know in this whole story that's the setting he's speaking to the Pharisees people that would know the law 
And so the story is, is that this father, who was obviously very wealthy, I mean, at the end of the story, it talks about how they have a big party in his house, so he has some kind of banquet hall. He has fatted calf, he has goats, he has servants, he's a rich dude, okay? So this, the younger son comes to him and says, Father, I would like my share of the inheritance. And that is the equivalent of saying, I wish you were already dead, give me what is mine. And in patriarchal society in that day, that really would have deserved probably some sort of physical um, communication, trying to be sensitive here, and really he could have been thrown out of the house. But the father did not do that. And he did divide the land with the son. And it says, you could in Jewish law, you could divide the land, but usually that was when the father would be nearing death. You could divide that up, but you couldn't cash it in. Well, this guy cashed it in. So it became public. Everybody in town knew it. And that's incredibly shameful for the father. Incredibly shameful, embarrassing for the family. The whole village knew it against Jewish, really, all their traditions. And really, in Jewish understanding of that, the, the worst thing they could do was take your inheritance and go, go lose it to Gentiles. That would be us, Okay. And so he went off to a foreign land, it says, and he spent his money, and the Bible says, in loose living. We don't know exactly what that means. We do know the elder son accused him of prostitution. We don't know that, and I don't think the elder son knew that. He just wasn't happy with the younger son. But he went and spent all his money, and then a famine came, and there was no money. And so he thinks, maybe I can work and make money to repay my father. I can't go back with no money and say, oops sorry so it was a big deal he finally it the bible says he came to himself and i always saw that as maybe kind of a repentance but in reading and studying this in one version of it and several bible scholars in, including perkins years ago the guy said this and i was like i don't think i believe you but really the translation is it's like he was thinking out loud at this point there wasn't a spirit of repentance he was just saying i'm starving I'm going home, it, you know, the servants get to eat at my dad's house, so I'm going to go back there and I'm just going to say, you know, I, I did the wrong thing, let me, be your, let me be your slave. And that was kind of his thinking. So he proceeds to do that. And he, while, the Bible says while he is a long way off. And one scholar said it's not so much distance as he was in relationship because he was so far from the father. He was so far from his love. He had turned away. He had turned back. He had, just, he had just left. And so it's just important to know, really at this point, it's looking like um, the patriarch in this story, the father is really an example of God because there's no human dad that could really do all the things that was being done in here. The son comes back. He starts giving the speech or he's planning to give the speech, and the father runs to him. Now, in Jewish tradition, in Jewish law, they wore these long robes, and men did not run. Patriarchs did not run. It was humiliating. And this father ran. And he ran to him. And in part, he ran because if he could get there before the town people got there, because this was not a welcome home Johnny kind of thing for the prodigal coming back. He had dissed the, the village. He had dissed his father. It was a big deal. And the father, 
many scholars think the father, he thought if he could get to the son before the town does, if they see public reconciliation, maybe they won't cast him out. Because literally the tradition was when you lost the inheritance and you lost it on Gentiles and you came back with no money, you would be cast out of the town. There was no relationship. So the man ran. The patriarch ran. And wet before the guy could say anything, start his little speech, he ran. And, and it says he hugged him and kissed him. And then the prodigal begins the speech that Nick was reading, and he says, I have sinned against heaven. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. And he starts going into all of this. Um, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father then begins saying, no, bring the best robes, bring the ring, bring the sandals. Slaves did not wear, servants did not wear sandals. Bring the sandals. And the father was saying, he who was lost is now found. Now, it's not like the prodigal came back and, and was all just, okay, you know, I'm here. You know, I mean, obviously he was concerned and he was going to have to work and all that kind of stuff. But what the amazing thing is that the father in his own, you know, you don't it really see in scripture the prodigal saying, I probably really upset my dad. You don't see in the scripture the prodigal saying, man, I blew it. I was wrong. If you really examine it carefully, there's really not any point where you see repentance until the father really cares for him, receives him, and then you begin to see a series of repentance. One of the quotes that is made, I've sinned against heaven and against you, or I've sinned, um, was the quote that Pharaoh made to Moses when Moses was saying, let my people go, and Pharaoh, toward the end of the, of the different curses that were going on against the people pharaoh says that not because he was really repentant but because he was just trying to maneuver the situation and pharisees would know that quote because they were good jews right and they had memorized the pentateuch so here's the scripture beginning with verse 20 so he got up and he came to his father but while he was still a long way off his father saw him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly and bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and he's been found and they began to celebrate. Okay, so that means the entire village was invited. You don't celebrate with a fatted calf and just have like a family of four. You know, it would have fed the entire village. So there was a party. It says there was dancing. It was a big deal as far as, as what was going on with the family. And so that happens. Okay, was the party for the prodigal? Had the prodigal done anything but show up and say I blew it? I don't think people were high-fiving him going, way to go, blow your dad's money, all right. You know, I think, I think the celebration was about the father's love and reconciliation and redemption, that what was lost had been found, what was dead was now alive again. Okay, so the elder brother. It says they began to celebrate. 
in Middle Eastern tradition, when they say celebrate, that's usually not a quiet thing. Now, his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants, and we think that's a little boy because all the other servants would have been serving the fatted calf and all that kind of stuff. Summoned one of the servants had been inquiring about the, at what was going on, and the little boy said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. In some translations, in the, um, the word there, in some translations, back to the Greek, is shalom, safe and sound, in peace. He's received him in peace. And that's more about his spiritual condition than his physical condition. So he became angry and was not willing to go in. That's another huge um, dishonor to the father. For the father, the patriarch to have to leave the party, the entire village is there, everybody's there, they're celebrating. Not that the prodigal did such a good job of blowing the money with Gentiles, but the father's love and reconciliation and his care for us. And so the elder son won't go in. And so the dad has to come out. Huge thing for patriarchs. I mean, just not done. And so he talks with the elder son as well. And the elder son who says, you know, I've done all these things. I've done all this. You know, I've, I've worked for you. Um, verse 28. But when he became angry and was not willing to go in, his father came out and began pleading with him. And But he answered to his father. Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, and you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate, because this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, meaning restored relationship. The lost has been found. A couple of points on this part of it, and then a couple of points kind of for dads and, and for all of us in relationship and that kind of thing. Um, in regard to the elder brother, we don't know if he ever went in. We, it, the Bible doesn't tell us, except for him to not even address his father as father was massive. Look, when this son of yours, you know, and goes into his rant, and this really is indicative of the Pharisees, and they probably got it. They probably weren't going, I wonder what that means. You know, they probably understood. Many scholars feel like the meal was kind of a foreshadowing of our communion, that we don't celebrate us. We celebrate and we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross and the resurrection and the price he paid in sin. So I just encourage you, as you begin to think about Father God, I feel like there is a book written by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God, and prodigal meaning like lavishly spending or, or giving all you have. And that would be God the Father. Giving all he had to bring into right relationship, giving all he had to bring things into perspective, giving all he had to draw one back in that had left. Again, it comes down to choice. We don't know what the elder son did. We have no idea. It, scripture really is not clear. 
so my question for us all is how do we respond to the lavish love of God do we put him in a box do we put our boundaries on him do we put on him things that happen in life that we don't understand or do we understand his incredible unconditional love do we get that and do we receive it I've talked to people that will say, well, yeah, I believe God loves everybody else, but how could he love me? Do we understand his love for us all? And are we willing to be vessels of that for the rest of the world, for those that are lost? A couple of thoughts, and we will close. I think one of the enemy's greatest um, tactics against us is to try to cause us to believe that God doesn't love us. You know, if you can't really start there, it's hard to build really on anything. But he does love you. Whether situations have been good for you or situations have been difficult for you, he loves you. Whether your earthly father was a good representative of that or not, God loves you. He loves you. And he is good. And I am grateful for men in the church and men in society that live a good example so that those that maybe did not have a good example of a father's, they have others to look to. And there are many in this congregation. When a baby is baptized, someone is baptized here. When we baptize a baby as a church, we will say, this is our new brother or sister in Christ. And how part of our job is to love them and nurture them and care for them. It is so critical. There are so many children and youth that need to have spiritual fathers, spiritual parents. As we celebrate fathers, we also celebrate children. That relationships could be restored, that they could be redeemed. And even in the most difficult situations, God's unconditional love wins. There was a passage that was shared at the time of the resurrection, of the time of Easter, and it said God, God's love wins over death. And it does. God's love wins. The cross, the resurrection, God's love wins. So for fathers today, for all of us just quickly, I just encourage you to be a vessel of blessing, that we would all be a vessel of blessing. You don't know what somebody's going through. You don't know. And so for your own kids, be a vessel of blessing. But for people around you, be a vessel of blessing. I encourage you to try to look them in the eye and say, I am grateful for you. If it's hard, I worked with a dad one time, and he uh, couldn't tell his daughter he loved her. And he was a great guy, but he just couldn't say it. I mean, he could not get the words out. And I told him, and I was much younger then and probably not as wise, and I said, if you're not able to tell her you love her, and you're, if you're not able to show it, someday she will find somebody who will. And she did. And I wasn't, I wasn't proud of that, but it's like we have this time with people of how can we pour into them and give to them? How can we bring the lost back? How can we bring, in a sense, the dead back to life? So I encourage you for all of us, dads, moms, everyone in the room, every person, that we would be a vessel of hope, that we would be a vessel of love. If it's hard for you to say I love you, write them a note. 
If it's hard for you to write, I guess cut the things out of the magazine, although that's creepy, you know, if you cut the letters out, you know, to say to your kid, I love you, I mean, oh my gosh, write them a note because they can see it over and over and over again. When my mother died, I, you know, was going through some of her things, and there was a letter she saved from her father, and he wrote it to her on her 21st birthday, and she had saved it. You know, and he typed it out, and then he signed his name, and he said, how I love you. And she kept that all her life. May we be those vessels. May we be those vessels of hope, of caring for our kids. It, it is not for grandparents. You know, you're still in the same boat for your grandkids. May we all be that vessel. As we come to the close of the service, and we'll be singing the last song, I would just encourage you, if there is anyone here that, that would like to come and pray, you know, the chancel rail is open. If anyone would like to join the church or make a decision uh, to accept Jesus as your Savior, we very much are for that. That's awesome. Um, but my prayer for you this day, for us all, is that we would know the incredible, that we would know and receive the incredible love of God. And we would be a vessel of that to all those around us. Amen.